Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. Um, uh, as you heard in the prayer, uh, I am excited about so much that's happening, not only in the life of our church, the opportunities that we have to serve together, but I'm also eagerly excited about the fact that the IMB, our International Missions Board, if you don't know, uh, are having a sending celebration uh, this evening where we are commissioning missionaries to be sent out all over the world. Um, and I am uh, not only excited about that, but excited about the fact that there is one of those missionaries that is known by our family in particular, um, and due to the nature of where they are going, we cannot share their name publicly, uh, but man, we are thankful to God to know them and to be a part of their journey and to see how the Lord will use them as they faithfully go out, not only this particular individual, but the families that will be sent out um, as well. So today is a day of joyous celebration, uh, but a day of reminder as well as we continue to pray, not only for ourselves and the work that God has called us to here in our own community, but the work that God has called like-minded brothers and sisters all over the United States and throughout the nations, uh, which is what we are called to do. Now, we are in our final section of Peter's writing here in 2 Peter chapter 3, and I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there in the Word if you would. And unlike uh, a normal closing of a letter, Peter, instead of giving us these final greetings and salutations that we often see throughout the Pauline letters, is actually going to take a, a different approach and continue to instruct the church on the call to remember, or better yet, as we've called it, the call to never forget. Now, as a reminder, we've talked about how repetition has been a good thing, and I hope that you have not only been encouraged by the reminders that Peter has given us uh, throughout 2 Peter, but I would encourage you now um, to go back and read 1 Peter, or better yet, uh, hopefully read Jude as well to see just how these particular letters really mirror each other in terms of what it means to faithfully live out the call uh, that has been placed upon us as believers in Christ. Well, this morning, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the last half of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is now going to teach the church really a right understanding of the second coming, which is what we talked about last week. There was this reminder to never forget that Jesus Christ is coming again. And so this week, Peter's going to now encourage the believers to never forget in light of the second coming to stand firm as we continue to wait for the return of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter wanted the church to view the end similar to how we view setting goals today. Now, when I talk about setting goals today, I'm not talking about the nonsense we try to do on New Year's Day, okay? I'm not talking about that 1158, 1159, New Year's Eve, getting into New Year's Day where we have these resolutions of things that we're going to accomplish. Because let's be honest, most of us break our resolutions within the first month, right? Most of us don't even make it through the first week without breaking resolutions, right? I would anticipate that several of you may have been in a boat that I was in and probably broke one of your resolutions within the first hour. But thanks be to God, there is grace in that, correct? Well, Peter wanted the church to see that we should have goals. You see, we set goals today to represent the end result of a work that we hope to accomplish. We set goals today in order to, to make a plan and ultimately motivate ourselves as to how we are to now live in the moment. For example, I imagine many of us uh, work, and so with that, many of us have the goal to receive a promotion within the next six months to the next year. And so you begin planning out, as you think about those promotions, what steps that you now need to take in order to receive the promotion. 
I imagine that many of you might have been involved at some point in your life with some extracurricular activities where, or even sports where you set goals for yourself in order to become a better individual at whatever skill set that you were trying to accomplish. You see, even in coaching, which is something I've been around a good bit of my life, we would always teach our athletes that championships are won and lost, not on what it is that you do on the day of a game, but rather what it is that you do in the weight room when no one is watching. In fact, in football, we used to tell our athletes that what you do in January in a weight room will determine what you will accomplish once you get to August. So you see, it's what you're doing when no one is watching that actually matters. You see, Peter wanted the church to have this same mindset when it came to setting goals. For Peter, he understood that what you believe as a believer in Christ about where you are going will now have great bearing on how you now live today. So in Peter's final words, he calls the church to stand firm as we wait together for the return of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 11. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now these are Peter's final words, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, Peter writes, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, when we read this last section of 2 Peter 3, it becomes clear that Peter understood what we believe about our eschatology, or better yet, the study of the end times, will impact how we now march towards the end times. So after teaching on the second coming of Jesus Christ, Peter now turns his attention from argumentation, proving that all of this was going to happen, to now application as he now speaks again to the believers for the purpose of edification and encouragement. So it's in this moment that Peter reveals more of his heart as he hopes his words will encourage believers on how to now live in the midst of the waiting. You see, the living he calls the church to is now done in light of our anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. 
So this morning, let's look at Peter's final words of care for the church and see how it's Peter who now calls the church in his closing words to never forget to stand firm. And so the question we're going to answer this morning is, how do we stand firm in the midst of waiting? Peter's going to answer that question in three ways. First, he says in verses 11 through 14 that we should, uh, how do we stand firm in the midst of waiting? We stand firm by pursuing godliness. You see, Peter wanted the believers to remember that what we believe about where life is heading will now have a direct influence on our morality or lack thereof. So Peter's first application for the church while we are waiting was very simple. He said, listen, while you are waiting, continue to pursue godliness, or better yet, continue to live in a way that pleases God according to the word of God, thus avoiding condemnation. You see, as we look at verses 11 through 14, we see Peter argue that it is right for believers to live lives that are ethical, that are holy according to the word as we wait for the second coming of Christ. In fact, if you were to look at verses 11 through 14 again, it could best be summed up as really one large if-then statement, which seems to be the, the repetitive pattern of Peter throughout 2 Peter. So literally what we have in these verses is Peter is saying to us, listen, if Jesus is coming back to judge the wicked and bring justice for the righteous, then you, in the midst of waiting, should live righteously according to the Scriptures. I mean, as a Christian today, hearing these words, this should really be a no-brainer for us at this point. You see, if we know that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, then it just makes sense for us as believers in Christ to continue to pursue godliness and therefore live godly lives. So again, let's just look at the text real quick and and see the conditions that Peter gives us in each one of these statements. These are the if statements that Peter gives us. Verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Skip to verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And again, he ends verse 14 by saying, since you are waiting for these. All of these statements that we see from verses 11 through verse 14 point us back to what Jesus Christ will do when he returns. He is going to judge the world with fire. Now, we already know this because we read about this last week in verses 7 and again in verse 10, which ultimately culminates in getting into verse 11, which actually is a present participle designating a future destruction to come that will be total and it will be complete. In other words, on the day of the second coming, there will be judgment. On the day of the second coming, the world will be judged with fire. On the day of the second coming, all sin and wickedness will be burned to ash, and the world will be refined and made new. Now again, this part of the if statements are actually conditional references and now frame, are framed up by Peter's then statements, which are the conclusions of the text. So if this is going to happen to the world, notice what Peter says in verse 11. 
What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 14, therefore, beloved, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Notice that Peter teaches us that since the world is temporary, Peter now urges the church to be diligent in its pursuit of godliness. In other words, since we know that Jesus Christ is coming back, since we know that on that day the world will be judged by fire, we now can know that the way we act and our behavior and what it is that we do and what it is that we say and what it is that we don't do and what it is that we don't say, all of these things actually matter. In fact, Peter says at the end of verse 14, he says, he speaks of being at peace. Now again, Peter is not talking about a peace that exists between people. He's not talking about this this still, calm peace that exists in the middle of the night within your home, hopefully. Rather, what Peter is talking about is is a peace that, that is defined as right standing with God, where we can now enter into His presence with joy. So Christian, don't miss Peter's reminder here. What we believe about what is going to happen in the future should dictate how we now live in the present. As believers in Christ, our beliefs about Jesus Christ, our beliefs about His second coming, our beliefs about eternity spent in His glory demands our response to be one of pursuing godliness in every aspect of our life. Now notice this. Notice that Peter doesn't call the church to this lifestyle because of the impending judgment of Christ. You see, as Christians today, we don't have to live in fear of that judgment but rather with the whole gospel in mind, rather with the the goodness of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord in mind. Peter says that we pursue godliness because of the abundant grace that has been given to us and continues to be seen and given as we wait for the Lord. Now again, pay attention to verses 12 and 14 to understand this because you should see the same phrase there uh, in the ESV. It says waiting for. Most translations may just have the word wait there. You actually see this uh, phrase repeated three times, which ultimately reveals that we shouldn't just be waiting for the Lord to come back, hoping that he will come back, but rather we wait with eager anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about that for a moment. When was the last time you waited with eager anticipation for anything? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love you all, but I didn't see anybody outside today waiting to bust down the doors to get in this place. So I don't, I don't know if we were, we were waiting to come into worship with eager anticipation. No, I, when I think of eager anticipation and what that looks like, I think about Christmas as a kid. I remember what it was like waking up on Christmas morning and, and all of a sudden you're, you're ready to wake up and open gifts. And now as a, as a parent, I have kids that do that. Now, again, I got some teenagers who don't really like getting up in the morning, but that's okay. God is good in that. And I don't blame them because I'm with them. But I've got younger kids who literally before the sun rises, they're ready to wake up and open some gifts. Which, oh, by the way, shameless plug. 
I don't know if you know this yet or you've looked ahead in your calendar, but Christmas Day actually falls on a Sunday this year. And let me just go ahead and tell you, yes, we are having service that morning. Okay, does not make sense to cancel church on Christmas Day. I mean, like that blows my mind. Like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going there. I'm just, it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, moving on. This eager anticipation that Peter's talking about is not only like Christmas Day, but think of it like this. Many, many of you, if you're a parent, or maybe you're not a parent, you have this, but maybe you have like a countdown to Christmas happening in your home. And I'm not talking about Hallmark movies here. I'm talking about an actual calendar. And so as those days continue to count down, you get more and more excited because you know what Christmas represents. You know that it's more than just gifts. It's more than just a tree. It's more than just decorations. It's more than just traveling around with with hot chocolate, singing Christmas carols, and looking at Christmas lights. You realize, as Christians, it it was the promise of God being fulfilled in the form of a baby being born. You see, that's the type of anticipation that Peter now draws on. He says, listen, just as, just as we, we drew on the prophecies being fulfilled that, that God would come in the form of man through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we should now wait with eager anticipation, knowing that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. And so Peter answers the question, what are we eagerly waiting for? And the answer is this, we're not waiting for judgment. But rather, verse 13, he tells us we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness now dwells. Notice what Peter says about what's coming in the waiting. He's saying, listen, God is is coming with fire and he's going to wipe out the old. He's going to wipe out wickedness. He's going to wipe out sin. He's going to purify all things. He's going to restore all things to its redemptive state so that we can now enjoy God's creation the way God intended it to be. Thanks be to God for that. I mean, just think about the beauty of a sunset over the ocean or, or if you're one of those people that like to go to the space coast and see the sun rise. Think of the, the beauty of a, of a cool, misty mountain morning. We look at that and we're like, man, look at God. And what Peter is saying is, yeah, look at God, but recognize this, you're seeing creation right now through the lens of sin. Imagine what it's going to look like when it's fully restored the way God intended it to be. Imagine what it's going to be like where, instead of seeing the sun rise, we're just going to see the glory and the magnificence of God as it radiates and permeates all of creation. You see, we are eagerly waiting for the final promises of God to be fulfilled. We are waiting on the hope and the glory that we know that is coming. And the reality is this, without the hope that life is going somewhere, there really would be nothing left to live for. But as believers in Christ today, we have hope. And because of this hope, we now know that we have something to live for, which means we have everything to live for because we know how the story ends. So it's at this point, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to ask ourselves about our own lives and examine our own lives for a moment and ask this question, does this thing that I'm doing, does this moment reflect the life that I will have in eternity? I mean, because think about this for a moment. What we are doing now really is practice for what is to come. And so how are we preparing for what is to come? Now, notice what happens here as we get into verse 12. 
Okay, notice what Peter says. He says, hastening the coming of the day of God. I'm going to tell you, I've been wrestling with this word hastening uh, for a couple weeks now. I mean, did anybody else catch that word when you were reading this passage as whether we read it for the first time a moment ago or whether you've been reading it this past week? I mean, what exactly is Peter talking about here when he says the word hastening? It almost seems that, that, that Peter seems to think that somehow we can speed up the process of Christ's return, that we can almost expedite the process. And so many scholars have asked the question, when it comes to hastening the return of Christ, does this throw off God's sovereignty? I mean, are we, are we literally taking God's sovereignty and crumbling it up and throwing it out the window because we believe we can hasten the return of Jesus Christ? Well, I don't think so. I think what Peter might be thinking about here is what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, when he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. By the way, that phrase you'll see again in Matthew chapter 28 at the Great Commission. But then notice what he says. Then the end will come. Notice that Jesus, in his own words, Jesus knows what people are going to do. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And so Peter, upon hearing this, knows that God and God alone is sovereign. So when we come back to, to Peter's letter here in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this, listen, if we know that God is sovereign, then we know that if we continue to pursue godliness, the tension that exists in the waiting will become less as we now live, not just in the tension, but the beauty of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. In other words, the end goal doesn't seem as far once we arrive there and look back on the work we put in to see the work draw closer. So the answer to the question is yes. In God's sovereignty, we can draw closer as we grow in holiness. And as we continue to grow in holiness, we make the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ known. So Christian, hear the encouragement and the application from Peter today as he calls the church to continue to stand firm. He says, listen, church, live in eager anticipation of his return. Count down the days, but not in the way we number days. Count them down. Every day is another step closer to eternity with God. I mean, praise God. We get to go to bed tonight and close our eyes and say, Lord, help me to rest knowing that either tomorrow will come and I will get to continue to pursue you and tell people about you, or tomorrow will come and you will come with it. And what a glorious day that'll be. Christians, while you wait, continue to usher in His coming by pursuing godliness and making the gospel of Jesus Christ known. Peter continues from there in verses 15 and 16, and he gives us our second point in order to stand firm. He says, not only should we pursue godliness, but now we need to make every moment matter. Notice Peter's desire here was for the believers to now maximize their gospel influence in these last days. Verse 15, he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now again, Peter's referencing back to what he's already said back in verse 9, that God's delayed judgment is no delay at all. Rather, God's delayed judgment, as some called it delayed, is actually an act of mercy that reveals his patience. 
So Peter sees patience as an opportunity to grow in our salvation through the process of sanctification. And in speaking of this particular salvation, Peter is now referencing both our need to grow in our faith, but also for our passion to grow in seeing others come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when you read this text, you see that Peter wanted the church to continue working out their salvation because he did not want to see the believers in Christ fall prey to the false teachings that were happening all around them. And so he reminds them to see each day as an opportunity to grow according to the word and to make Jesus Christ known. In fact, Peter continues from there in verse 15, and he says, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. I mean, did you catch what Peter just called Paul? He called him our beloved brother. Notice here that Peter reveals his love and affection for Paul. This is kind of a big deal because these two brothers really have been through some stuff together. Okay, they have served together. They have shared the gospel together. They have seen the church grow together. They've even gotten arguments together. They got a fight together, okay? And yet in this moment, Peter appeals to the words of Paul to help affirm the goal of making every moment matter. Notice what he says in verse 16. He says, as he does in all his letters, again, referencing Paul. Peter here acknowledges that the church, the church that Peter is writing to, probably would have been in the same area as Galatia, Ephesus, or Colossus, which probably would have made them familiar with Paul's words when he wrote to the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Colossians, because they would have been recipients of those letters as well. But Paul doesn't, but Peter doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 16. He says, as they do the other scriptures. So notice what Peter is doing here. He now considers Paul's writing to be on the same plane as the Old Testament text. In other words, just as he did uh, a couple sections ago in Peter, um, earlier in 2 Peter, in giving himself and establishing himself as authority, now Peter establishes the authority of Paul's writing as Scripture and thus calls the church to continue to read in order to grow. Church, do we see? That a part of making every moment matter is taking the time to spend in the Word of God. We have to be readers. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, some of you are hearing this right now, and you're going, I hate reading. I hear you, and I was there. But then guess what happens? Start reading good things, and then you get excited about the great things that God is doing. Can I just shamelessly plug something real quick? Okay, again, in the foyer, you will walk out of here. There are books out there. Okay, we don't get any kickback on those books whatsoever. They were given to us for free, and the reason why they're back there is because we have read them, they have been curated, and they are good reads. Those are books that we recommend to, to individuals when we're, when we're meeting with them in, in discipleship sessions or whatever. Make sure what we're reading is good, but then on top of that, make sure that we're reading the Word of God as well. Now, notice what Peter says next. Because in between these phrases and talking about Paul, he really gives the church some incredible encouragement. Okay, go back with me to verse 16. Look at what he says. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Did everybody just hear that? 
like Peter didn't just take a shot at Paul here. Rather, I think what Peter's doing is he's actually giving us hope. He's giving hope to all of us as we read the Bible and we come across a difficult text. I mean, how many times have we opened the Bible and we read it and we closed it and we were like, thanks be to God, I don't know what happened. I mean, how many times have we done that? How many times have we read Leviticus or, or Numbers? And we're like, God, I don't get it, but you're good. How many times have we read Revelation? I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, hey, pastor, can we, can we study Revelation? And I ask why, and they're like, because I want you to explain it to me. Footnote, are you kidding? I don't even know if I get it all. I had mentors in seminary who spent 20 years studying the book of Revelation, and this was their conclusion. How's this world going to end? I don't know. I just know Jesus Christ is going to be victorious. Notice, again, the encouragement that we get. Peter says that there are going to be some things that are written in the Word of God, some things that are even written by Paul, that are going to be difficult to interpret it. Peter teaches us that it's okay in these moments to be okay living in the unknown because the unknowns, the things that we don't understand about the Bible, do not rob us of knowing the life and the godliness that can be found through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, as we continue to read the Word. But then notice what Peter does. He comes back and, and establishes some more truth here in the text. He takes it one step further and he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Notice what Peter's teaching the church here. He says, listen, it is better for us to say that we don't know what the text means than to distort the meaning of the text and make it say what we want it to say. I love what Thomas Schreiner says about this point. I've been reading a lot of him lately. He says, although some things in the Bible are difficult to interpret, misinterpretation of Scripture is never excusable. You see, Peter warns the church again and us today that like the false teachers, we cannot manipulate certain issues in order to confuse others or to justify our own sins, our own wickedness, our own actions, and our own words. So Christian, hear the words of Peter. We have to make every moment matter. We do this by making sure that what it is that we're listening to, what it is that we are reading is interpreting the text as accurately as possible. We do this because as believers, we now live in the hope of what is to come. And so as believers, we need to stay in the word, seeking to understand what it is that God has called us to versus forcing the word of God to be distorted to mean what it is that we think we desire. And not to end on a bad note, Peter says that this will happen to their own destruction. Again, Peter's reminding the church that the false teachers who had come were seeking to distort the word of God. They were seeking to manipulate the word of God to mean what it was that they wanted it to mean in order to justify their own sin-filled lifestyles. They were seeking to dull the sharp edge of the gospel within the lives of the church and then ultimately shut down the gospel mission of the local church. In this particular point, and even in Paul's writings, Martin Luther said it this way. He said, false teachers were abusing Paul's teaching on justification by faith and freedom from the law, so that they could enjoy a life of moral laxity. You see, the issue being brought forth 
from Peter was not one of a minor interpretation issue. Okay, because we're going to get interpretations wrong. We're going to believe one thing and then later read up on it and all of a sudden that interpretation is going to change. But rather what Peter is talking about is this. We should never use scriptures and misinterpret the scriptures to justify our own immorality. So Christian, hear Peter's words. Let's use the time that we have been given, the time that we now have left in order to grow in our understanding of the gospel and therefore to proclaim the gospel to those who haven't heard it. Let's make sure that what we know to be true is true according to the word. And if we don't know, let's be comfortable with living in the unknown and continue to live out our lives pursuing godliness, making every moment matter so that we can both confirm our calling and our election. Peter then moves on from there into verses 17 and 18. And after teaching us that in order to stand firm, we need to pursue godliness. In order to stand firm, we need to make every moment matter. He closes by saying, in order to stand firm, we cannot cave nor collapse. Now here is Peter's third application from all that he has taught so far, which actually doubles as the conclusion of this letter. Again, Peter is about to show his constant care for the church as well as his concern about the weight being put on believers from the false teachers. Again, Peter loved the church and he did not want the church to fall. So he encourages them not to cave under the pressure that they are now experiencing. In fact, he opens verse 17 by saying, you therefore beloved. Now again, this phrase, three simple words reveal not only his pastoral love for the church, but also the urgency that is found within his writing. In fact, the, word, the, the use of the word therefore reveals that everything Peter has said up until this point is about to lead to his final conclusion, which is this. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Notice that Peter calls the church to two specific items in order to not cave. First, he says to the church, church, you need to be on guard. You need, to, you need to stand firm and not be led away as can happen when we let our guard down to something that seems or sounds more appealing. It's here that Peter reveals in his writing that deadly proselytizing is the reason that he is now so zealous in teaching the church to never let their guard down. So Peter suggests that the church now has the biblical responsibility to watch over themselves so that they do not depart from biblical Christian faith. You see, Peter wanted all of his readers to make it to the finish line in full stride. And so he writes that we can prevent ourselves from falling away by not losing, in his words, our own stability or our secure situation. Peter continues from there and he tells the church that knowing this beforehand, meaning this, that we knew this was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen because we have the word of God. It's the word that has led us to this point. It's the word that guides us to this point. It's the word that even prevents us from falling away into temptation or sin. So notice what Peter says to the believers. He says, listen, Christian, you have been warned. And now you have been called not to cave and not to collapse. And if we do, we know what awaits. So Peter says, brothers and sisters in Christ, stay close to the word. And as we wait upon the Lord, do not give a foothold to things that promote teachings that go against the word of God. 
So Peter not only teaches the church to now be on guard, but he closes by encouraging the church to continue to grow in Christ. Look with me, verse 18. He says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now again, Peter presents grace not as a static reality that's now limited uh, to the time that we first professed Jesus Christ and our sins were forgiven. But rather, Peter speaks of grace as an infusion of God's help for living the gospel life from the beginning of life all the way to the end of life. In other words, grace is the amazing gift of God's resources given to his people in order to be able to live out the gospel. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about here in this moment. We are able to gather together today to worship. Why? Because of grace. We gather for the purpose of fellowship. Why? Because of grace. We are able to serve and help those around us and go on mission. Why? Because of grace. We are even allowed to live on mission and boldly proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of grace. You see, God, through His grace, has given us all the resources of heaven in order for us to grow in the image of Jesus Christ and thus remain steadfast in Him. And that, in and of itself, is grace. And Peter teaches that not only do we grow in grace, but he then he says, and knowledge. Now, We've already talked about knowledge multiple times earlier in this series already, but here's Peter's point just to kind of sum up everything. Peter says growing in knowledge means that we grow in the wisdom according to the word, and it also means that we now draw closer to Jesus Christ as we seek to know him more. You see, for Peter, it was very simple. Knowing Christ should be one of the primary goals of Christian development as we move closer to full knowledge of him that will be revealed completely at his second coming. So both knowing Christ in relationship and knowing about Christ in wisdom not only helps us grow in grace, but by grace this knowledge now helps keep our guard up against heresy and against apostasy. It says one scholar who wrote about this particular passage said this. He says, the more we know Christ, the more we will invoke his grace. And the more we know about Christ, the more varied will be the grace we invoke. It's the same thing that Peter talks about when he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Both Paul and Peter together fully affirm that growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ is essential for maturing in Christ and thus warding off false teachers, thus keeping the church from collapsing. And it's at this point in the text that Peter closes his letter with a very simple doxology. Verse 18, he says, To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Notice what Peter is doing here. Peter in his doxology has ascribed the quality of glory. Now he's not giving God something that God didn't already have. But rather he's offering to God what is due to God. 
Peter, again, didn't just give God a new word to describe him. But rather, Peter acknowledges what we already know to be true of God, and that is this. God alone deserves all of our praise. And it's God alone who deserves all of our glory. You see, Peter, in this final moment, makes one last point to the church about Christ. And that is this, Jesus Christ deserves all the glory because he is the one who has done all the work. We are just benefactors of the work. We are recipients of the grace because of the work. We have been given the knowledge because of the work. And we didn't do the work. It was God through Christ who did the work. And then Peter ends with this phrase, to the day of eternity. Notice that Peter says that Jesus Christ deserves all the glory from now until eternity. So as long as we have breath in our lungs, we need to glorify him in each day. And as we seek to grow in our holiness, and as we wait for his return, let's continue to give God the glory. Now I can't help but think, or even wonder, and I am again reading into the blank spaces of the page here. I can't help but wonder if shortly after this letter was written, we know historically that Peter was martyred for his faith. But in those final moments, I can't help but wonder if Peter smiled. I can't help but wonder if he knew in that moment the day had come. A life spent glorifying God was about to be met with an eternity of seeing God in all his glory. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. Because that's what it's going to be like for us. A life spent glorifying God, praising the name of Jesus Christ, will all of a sudden one day come to a culmination where we see Jesus and for all of eternity we will rest in the praises of His glory. Just imagine what that must have been like. And so Peter's letter ends where it all began calling the believers to never forget what it is that they've been taught. Calling the believers to never forget what they know to be true. Calling the believers to never forget in order to live free from the false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate the church. It ended where it all began. And you know, the amazing thing about it is the gospel does the same thing as well. The gospel starts with the coming of Jesus Christ, the first time. And the gospel ends with his second coming. The first time Jesus came, he came as the suffering servant. The second time he comes, he will come as the savior of the world. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and His kingdom will be established forever and ever. To God be the glory. Amen. So as believers living in the waiting, assured that God alone is our Savior and that Jesus Christ is coming again, we are now called to live our lives in light of that calling. In other words, we are called to stand firm. We are called to pursue godliness. 
We are called in the midst of the waiting to make every moment matter by by knowing Him and making Him known. In the midst of the waiting, we are called to, to never cave as a church, to never collapse as a church, but rather strive to grow in knowledge. And through that growing in knowledge, realizing that we're growing because of His grace. We are called to never forget to stand firm. So here are the words of Peter. Hear them again when he says, Christian, stand firm. Christian, remember the gospel. Christian, remember it and live it. To God be the glory. Let's pray.